Today we continue our series on love and relationships and the different forms those relationships take. Uh, today we turn to family love. And I've, I confess I was tempted as I began my work on this sermon to do the typical Christian family home uh, kind of sermon that honors parents and all that kind of stuff. And then as I prayed about it, I felt that the Spirit was leading a different way. And to be honest, I can't tell you how many people I've heard who say that when they know the preacher is preaching on this subject, they stay away because the church's message has often been too painful. So I hope to deal with uh, some real honesty about family life today as we share. The text is Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 195 of the New Testament. <coughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for showing us what a true parent is like. Lord, thank you for loving us in the messiness of our families. Lord, help us to come to you honestly today to experience your grace. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. The Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. On behalf of the American church, I want to apologize. We have made the Christian family into an idol, and we were wrong. We have used verses like the ones I just read to impose unrealistic standards on families, to expect way too much, and we've hurt people in the process. Uh, we've he said, you honor your father and your mother uh, that your days may be long on the earth. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children to, to wrath. Follow these simple rules and all will be well in your God-fearing household, right? I mean, that's the formula. That's the recipe. Do those things and magically your, all of your kids will be respectful. Always, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. They'll always do what they're told because they want to live long on the earth. Their houses will always be clean. The rooms, will, the beds will be made. The dishes will be washed. Uh, there will be, uh, the children will never fight. The parents will never get angry. Even the dog will behave. <laughs> right? That is, I'm, that is the message the church has been putting out there for my whole lifetime. Follow these simple rules and you'll live with Ozzy and Harriet. I know that's the truth because I know what Sunday mornings are like. I've experienced them in my family. I've heard your stories. Sunday morning is, uh, th there's war that breaks out at the house. People oversleep on Sunday mornings. You can't find the hair bows. One shoe is missing. I don't know how one shoe goes missing. But uh, the, somebody spills the cereal. There's traffic. You're late coming to church. The kids are yelling at one another in the car. But... As you turn into the parking lot, some parent says with the 
with great authority. Now dry it up and act right, or I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> yeah, you've been in that car, I know. I've been in that car. I've been driving that car. <laughs> and that very story, your laughter tells me the unreal burden we've put on families. You better act like you're not for church. Anybody besides me see a problem with that? Before you get out of the car, we better act like we're not. We better pretend to be somebody we aren't so that we can be accepted when we come into the church. Because we're honoring father and mother and we're not provoking our children to wrath, right? I've, I've done it. And I am, I am guilty. Uh, I, I may be the chief of sinners on this one because I've, I wanted to hold up this, uh, this, I wanted to live up to that as pastor for these 30-something years. Uh, you know, there's, there's another verse in there, something about if you, if you can't manage your own household, how can, you, how can you manage the church? And so I just really feel the weight of that. Like, and, like you show up at my house uh, unannounced, if there are dishes in the, in the sink, I get all nervous. What are they going to think of me? You know? I hope all you think is that we had dinner. <laughs> we, we cook at our house. You know? Worse yet, I have pushed those kind of expectations on my children, particularly my older two. I, I've gotten a little wiser with age, I hope. But too often, especially with the older two, I have made them responsible for my success. Now, you better behave. Listen to what I said to my kids. You better act right at church so they don't end up moving us to another church. <coughs> How horrible. How horrible to put that expectation on my children. And yet I grew up in a church that expects that. I grew up in an American version of Christianity that says families better behave. And if not, bad stuff's going to happen. That's why I say that we've made an idol out of the American family. The Christian family unit has been idolized, and I'm sorry about that because we've done too much damage especially when there's nothing in Scripture that really supports that. When we turn to the biblical examples, they're, uh, they're all over the map. I don't know where the idea of the Christian family unit came from, but it wasn't from the examples of families we see in Scripture. Let me take you back through a few of them. The very first family, the prototype uh, in the Bible, the first family mentioned, one brother kills another. We're not off to a good start. Things go rapidly downhill from there. We get down to where God himself says there's only one righteous person in all the earth, Noah. We're going to kill everybody else. There's one righteous man in the earth. We're going to save Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. So eight people. Everybody else is going. That's the story in Genesis. And so you know the whole story of the ark. And it comes to rest. They come out. As soon as they get out, Noah plants a vineyard. He gets drunk. And then there's something that goes on between Noah and his son Ham that we will leave for a, more, for a less polite company. 
But there is some family drama. While Noah is drunk, when Ham comes into his tent, there is some family drama that is so bad that Ham and his family are cursed for generations from the most righteous man in all the earth. You get that? Then we get to Abraham, the, the, father, of, uh, the father of Israel, the Abraham, friend of God, you know, uh, who marries his half-sister, has his first child with the servant, and then when the child grows up, winds up deserting the child, deserting his firstborn and the child's mother, sending them in the wilderness alone. I don't. Cat has worked for DHR, and so I've learned a little bit about that process. I think you get reported for that now. <laughs> you desert your child to the wilderness. Somebody's calling the social workers, right? And now to. That's Abraham. And then Jacob. You know, Jacob who wrestled with God, and God changed his name to Israel. Man who wrestles with God literally is what it means. Israel, who, uh, for whom the nation, God's holy nation is named Israel, has a son by his daughter-in-law. And that's as far as we'll go with that in polite company. <laughs> Israel has a son with his daughter-in-law. Now, these are not the villains of the Bible. You get that, right? These are our heroes. These are the heroes of the, the best the Bible has to tell us about, and their families were disasters. And God shows up. That's the incredible thing. These families are they're falling apart, it seems. None of them meets the standard. Of, none of these guys could get to be a preacher in the United Methodist Church. And yet God, God consistently shows up. There is nothing to indicate that God is offended by their mess. In fact, God shows up and blesses them anyway and uses them. God works through the mess of these families, not only to bless them, but to bless the entire world. God says to Abraham, you deserter of children, you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. In spite of Abraham's messiness, God saw him as valuable for service. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that give you hope? Warms my heart. And back to Jacob, that son that he had through his daughter-in-law, you sick man, you. That son is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Check the record in Matthew chapter 1. God's not offended by the messes. In fact, from all I can tell in Scripture, God seems quite at home showing up in the middle of the mess. And that's good news. God never pushes messy families away. And the church shouldn't either. We have no place in pushing people away because of what's going on in their family. Now, perhaps, uh, perhaps the family dinner table in your house looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. And that's great. If it is, no shame at all in that. Maybe that's the life that you had, and if so, you have been extremely blessed. 
And you ought to be grateful for that. You ought to thank God for that. But you ought to realize that that didn't come from just following a few simple rules. But for a lot of us in the room, uh, the family home looked a little bit more like Archie Bunker's house. Or for the younger ones in the crowd, the Simpsons. And that's okay too. Shame on the church for shaming you. Shame on the church for shaming you. Because the biblical record is that God shows up in those families. And that God blesses. And that God, that that kind of family does not disqualify anyone from service to God or to the church or to the world. That God loves those families just as much. To me, that's good news. What would it be like if the church were a safe place to be that real? What would it be like if the church were a place where we could be that honest about what being family is really like? What if we didn't have to threaten our kids before they got out of the car on Sunday morning? I believe that kind of honesty leads to healing. I'm not promising instantaneous healing. But I believe if we're that honest, it's a step towards healing. There are some people in the room, I'm certain, who are still carrying some guilt about family, about a family that didn't measure up to unrealistic standards. Maybe the kids made decisions that we wish they hadn't have made, and we don't want to talk about it around decent church folk. Maybe the parents were not as available and present as we wish they had been. Maybe we're carrying this guilt that we just somehow didn't measure up as a family. I want you to hear today that God loves you. And that standard that's making you feel guilty came from people, not from God. And I want to invite you to leave that guilt at the altar today. It's okay to be proud of loving your family, messy as it might be. We should celebrate that. Please feel free to leave your guilt because it didn't come from God in the first place. There are probably some folks in the room too that are heartbroken that your family isn't what you wish it were. Parent-child relationships might have been severed or at least might be unhealthy. It's an incredible incredible relationship and the heartbreak that happens when that relationship breaks is unimaginable and I can't offer a fix I wish I could but I do want to say to you that God will still bless that love that God still loves you and that God still loves that one that's estranged from you and though I can't fix it I can say that the church will love you too. And you don't have to be alone in your struggles. Our job is to weep with those who weep. And if you're weeping about your family, there's no finger pointed, just arms stretched out to weep with you. And I hope that helps. There are probably some here too who have felt the guilt that unfortunately we've put on people who didn't have kids for whatever reason. Somehow families that don't have kids have been treated as second-rate families in the life of the church far too often. I'm sorry for that, too. 
but I want you to know it doesn't undervalue your family in the least. If you are a family made up of two spouses, that's a family and God blesses it. And some of you like that have been parents to more people than you can count. And that's a value. So whatever, whatever burden you might be carrying about family, whatever guilt, whatever heartbreak, I don't want you to I don't want the church to pile on anymore. I said, let's be honest. Let's be a place of healing. Let's tear down this idol of the Christian family. Let's feel free to be who we truly are. And let's rest on God's amazing grace. Amen. I invite you to stand for our invitation.